I think that most people have had some experience of not loving the thought of their partner having had a past relationship or sexual partner or whatever. Welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks Podcast. My name is Roger Nairn. I'm going solo again today as my partner, Connor Beaton, is spending some much-needed time up at the lake. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. We talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other change makers in our community on Facebook or go to mantalks.com. So today's guest is Zachary Stockhill. Zach is an award-winning Canadian researcher, writer, and educator. His most recent book, Everyday Joy, has been a number one bestseller in several Amazon categories. Zachary writes about culture and personal development for publications such as the Huffington Post, Pop Matters, and many others, including Mantalks. He has appeared on Huffington Post Live, The Art of Charm, and other programs as a guest contributor. Zach has been acknowledged as a leading authority on dealing with jealousy and relationships. In 2013, he published the guidebook, Overcoming Retroactive Jealousy, which we're going to tuck into today, and founded RetroactiveJealousy.com, the most heavily trafficked site on the internet concerning the topic of retroactive jealousy. Zachary is also the host of the popular online course, Get Over Your Partner's Past Fast. You can follow Zachary on Twitter at ZFStockhill and visit his personal website at ZFStockhill.com or RetroactiveJealousy.com. We're looking forward to it, so let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Zachary Stockhill. Hey, Zach, welcome to the Man Talks podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Roger. And you're, you're, you're doing this interview from beautiful Thailand, which is absolutely amazing. I'm very jealous. <laughs> yeah, you should be. It's pretty, it's pretty spectacular. Awesome. Um, before we get started, we always like to ask our guests if they can share with us a moment that, w- that you, know, you think defines you as a man. Hmm, I don't know about defining, but certainly uh, a momentous recent moment that comes to mind is I was in a, a motorcycle accident here hmm. in Thailand about a year and a half ago. And uh, it was a real wake-up call for me um, as a man. I, I think I was in a in a period of life where I was partying a little too hard and uh, maybe not working as hard, not as focused as I could or should be. Do they have partying um, in was, Thailand? <laughs> just a bit. Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to break the news. But yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. yeah, no, and it was, uh, it was just a real wake up call to my system. And the recovery process has not been easy. Um, but it I think it really has made me a stronger human being and a stronger man. And in a weird way, I'm starting to be to become grateful for it in a way that I, I certainly wasn't before. Well, it's amazing how, you know, events like that can kind of shake you up a little bit, bring, you know, bring you back to what life is all about and, and what you're meant to, you know, uh, to do on this, on this earth. Um, Absolutely. And like, it's, it's such a painful cliche, but, uh, you know, it really taught me, you know, as a, as a relatively young man, like, you know, we're not in, invincible, right? You know, people always tell, people always tell you that, especially, I don't know what your experience was like, but growing up, you know, if you're a little reckless, a little wild, people always tell you, you know, you're not invincible. Um, you're, you're still mortal, you know, uh, you have to be careful. And, and it was just a, it was a real wake up call for me to, to learn. And it's, it's a painful, painfully cliched, but I am indeed mortal. Absolutely. And we're very grateful that you're okay. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. So before we dig too too far into our conversation, um, I'm hoping that you can kind of give us a little bit of an overview of of what it is that you do, and and more importantly, we like to know why why are you doing what you're doing. Okay, so I'm the short answer is I'm a writer. Um, I've been writing about various topics for a long time, mostly around culture and personal development. Um, I was in university for, for seven years in total, and I thought I was going to be a history professor by now. Um, but some things came up and some unexpected forks in the road led me to, led me to pursue a different path. But today I mostly focus on writing about uh, music and I've got a podcast about music. And I also, the sort of the other aspect of what I do is around personal development. And my main focus there is I try to help people let go of jealousy and possessiveness in their intimate relationships. Awesome. And and you have this term that you that you like to focus on called retroactive jealousy. Yeah. And yeah. I'm wonder, Retro- I'm, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm wondering if you can unpack that for us because I think that's just a fascinating term. It is, and I, I didn't invent it, certainly. It's been around for a while. Um some people also call it retrospective or retrograde jealousy. But in essence, the term refers to being bothered by uh thoughts of a partner's past, their past relationships, their past sexual history, uh what have you. Um, but there are different types of, there are different experiences of retroactive jealousy. I think that most people have had some experience of not loving the thought of their partner having had a past, um, relationship or sexual partner or whatever. When we fall in love with someone new, that's often, you know, it's not nice to think about because we often, many of us, I've certainly been guilty of this in certain moments. Um, we tend to get sort of possessive and we want the person we love all to ourselves and the thought of them being with anyone else, whether past, present or future is upsetting. But what I focus on and and what my own experience was uh, several years ago was something that I'm many people refer to as retroactive jealousy, OCD, which is basically um, one version of obsessive compulsive disorder where your partner's past is is really all consuming. Mm. It sounds very strange to anyone who hasn't had that experience, but uh, there are tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people around the world who have this experience where when they wake up in the morning, their first thought is often very graphic and up, un, uh, upsetting uh, mental movies about their partner's past. And uh, they're often plagued by incessant curiosity about it. Um, it can really be quite debilitating. And uh, that was certainly my experience several years ago. I'm wondering if we can dig into that a little bit more. Um, what did that experience or how did that is, experience manifest for you? It was uh, it was interesting um, without going into too much detail. Yeah, when I was when I was in my early 20s, um, I had a, a girlfriend who I love very much. And and out of nowhere, this this sort of came up for me. I started to get very curious, even though uh, her past was not anything out of the ordinary whatsoever. Um, my own past was more eventful, so to speak. But for whatever reason, um, the deeper I fell in love with her, the more these feelings started to manifest themselves. And I would I would get cranky and I would I would be overcome with them several times a day. They'd just come out of nowhere. I'd picture all these ridiculous scenarios and I'd be really curious. And I, I, I'd keep telling myself that, you know, if I get more answers to these stupid questions about her past, the more peace I would find. Um, but that's not the way this works. It, it really is a, a vicious cycle where you're plagued by the obsession you attempt to, and you're uh, then compelled to ask them questions to get some relief or to get clarification on something or all of this stuff. Um, and then, you know, whenever uh, you get an answer from your partner that's favorable, you feel better for 10 minutes or half an hour or perhaps a full day, but then the cycle starts up again. So right. it was really relentless for me um, for several years. And I, I looked to, to several different um, places for help. I looked for therapy, I read books, and I looked a lot online. 
And uh, this is going to sound really self-serving, but I really couldn't find much online that was constructive or helpful or even compassionate. I think a lot of people, um, and I would say, first off, I know this is a Man Talks podcast, but women suffer from this, I would estimate, in roughly equal numbers to men. If I mm. were to estimate, it's probably around 60-40, something pretty close to that. Interesting. I'm glad you, um, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I thought at first this was just a, you know, a typical male fragile ego thing, uh, typical male jealousy, possessiveness. But yeah, a lot, a lot of women write to me. And if I were to estimate, you know, from the people who have written to me, it's, it's pretty, pretty close. A lot of the, the advice that is, that I found at the time was really judgmental. And, you know, why are you being such an asshole? You know, you judgmental person, um, just get over it. You know, the, the basic thrust of a lot of the advice that people would offer online is just get over it. And if anyone is listening to this and they're suffering from, from retroactive jealousy, they know that that is much easier said than done. Mm. It's sort of like, it sounds almost like, like depression. It's, it's like, Oh, just snap out yeah. of it, you know, uh, uh, smile, go for a run, you know, uh, eat, eat a little better. But the reality is that there's something deeper going on inside you. And, and it's, it's, it's gotta be also not biological, but, uh, sort of, um, uh, I, I guess it is biological. What's, you know, what's actually going on inside, uh, a, a man's head when, when this is happening? A lot of things. I think that a lot of men are trying to assess, um, more so than women, I would say, um, who suffer from retrograde jealousy. I think a lot of men are trying to assess whether or not their values are in line with their partner's values. Right. And a lot of men have extreme, um, Madonna horse syndrome, uh, and extreme, um, double standards when it comes to judging their partner's past where, where they, you know, lambast their partner for the same things that they've done in their own past. So I think a lot of guys, it's about trying to figure out whether this person would be a good mother for my child. How could she do those things? That kind of thing. A lot of men still, even in the, in the 21st century, try to, I won't say deny, but they try to, um, in some ways pretend that women don't have uh, often voracious sexual appetites or just or they're just entitled to their own sex lives, their own past, their own mistakes. A lot of guys, um, when they're suffering from this, I think they're they're trying to figure out, you know, what is what does my partner's past say about them as a person? And is that in, in line with my own values, my own idea of what the ideal girlfriend or wife should be? And is it a matter of they expect that their partner is pure and clean and, and untouched? There's a lot of that. Yeah, I think that, that a lot of guys, you know, it's like, why do guys, so many guys have the virgin uh, fantasy? And, and I mean, this has been prevalent throughout history. Right. I mean, so many human religions um, are premised on denying women's basic sexual rights to have their own sexuality, uh, rights to their body. Um, male insecurity goes back a long way through <laughs> yeah. history, through, through prehistory. Right. And I really do think that at least part of it for a lot of guys, it's that same impulse. I'm not sure if it's a genetic impulse or an evolutionary impulse. Um, I think that's more, we, we, we get that impulse owing more to, to cultural factors and cultural influences, but it's certainly there, that impulse to own, that impulse to control, that impulse to, um, to deny women's sexuality. Right. And, and you, you know, earlier in the conversation, you, you called it a cycle. Um, I'm assuming, I'm assuming when you're having these thoughts, you, you know, you're making them worse and worse by continually, continuing to focus on them. Is there a way to sort of, uh, stop that cycle? Um, and what does that look like? Well, the first and most basic piece of advice I give to people, anyone who reaches out to me with questions or who even visits my website, um, signs up for my email list or whatever, I always tell people, stop talking to your partner about their past. Mm for now, just, just stop it. And it's, mm. it's easier said than done. Yes. 
Um, but I have yet to have someone write to me who's taken that advice and who said it was bad advice because what that does is it just shuts down that, um, the cycle in the sense that there's no more new information coming in that, that your brain can distort and that you can get fixated on and, and that can cause more problems in the relationship. Right. So the first and most important thing I would say is just stop talking about it. Um, in my own experience, things got a lot better once I really committed to that. And I think that just, yeah, virtually everyone who's written to me has said the same, just but, stop talking about but, it. But just to, just to kind of uh, clarify this, are you saying that, you know, it, it's not healthy to focus on the past in any relationship or is it only people that are sort of having these retroactive jealousy thoughts that that should stop well i think that focusing on the on the present is always the the ideal choice but when i when i give that advice it's specifically to people dealing with retroactive jealousy ocd right now you know when they're when they're stuck in this cycle when they're consumed by these obsessive thoughts and compulsions i really think that at least for right now that's the best uh course of action right um and and if, if let's you know if, if I'm just new to a relationship, um, is it healthy for me to even ask these questions in the first place? Sort of, what is your sexual past, and and what has that looked like for you, or is that something that I should just let naturally kind of come out in in the relationship? That's a good question. I think that it it uh, it comes down to your values and what you value in a relationship and what you value in a partner. I think that generally, if, if people were to ask me, I think it's better just to kind of let those things come out eventually because they often will. However, uh, if you're dating a woman who is an intravenous drug user and who's, you know, uh, you know, had a, you, you, you're getting the sense that she might not be totally forthright with you about her very, very eventful past. Right. And you're considering getting into something more serious or if, you know, she has a history of obviously of lying and cheating or whatever. Um, then I think those questions are certainly worth raising. But I think in most relationships, it's better just let those things come up naturally, I think, because they, you know, sooner or later they will. And and what sort of a role does the partner play in all this? I mean, if I'm somebody who's dating uh, a woman who has these sort of retroactive um, jealousy thoughts, what can I do as as her partner to to sort of limit to limit these or or help soothe them? Yeah, I've got a couple of articles on my website that that speak to the partners of people dealing with this. But I would say first and foremost, um, focus focus on the present. Make it clear that you know these conversations have become tedious and there's no new information to be gleaned there. And um, you know if things are getting really bad, you know tell your partner that you find it insulting that they keep bringing this up. You know they you understand that they're in pain, whatever. But you know ultimately you're interested in living now. You're not interested in focusing on on the past. Um, but more than anything, I would say that, you know, it's, it's, it's the person, it's the sufferer's problem. You know, a lot of people look to their partner to solve this problem mm-hmm. for them. They think that if they just have one more conversation, if they ask them more questions or if they, you know, um, apologize for their past and talk about what a, you know, train wreck they were and all of this stuff, if they I, disown their past, if they say they were never in love before. I could see, I could see a lot of situations where, where people lie about their past just to soothe the partner and just like, you know what, I don't, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> he's Absolutely. clearly, he's clearly, he's clearly not in a good space and I don't want to tell him about my sexual past. I'm just going to lie and say, you know what? I was, I was, a good, I was a good girl growing up. Absolutely. And, and another thing I tell people who are going through this, you know, that I think that, that most, uh, retroactive jealousy sufferers learn is like, try to put yourself in the position of your partner going through this. Mm. You know, do you think that this is going to help your relationship? Do you think that this is going to help your sex life? Um, the degree of attraction that your partner feels for you? Absolutely not. Um, mm. So you're really just continually, you know, shooting yourself in the foot here. So yeah, own, own your problem. This is your problem. This is not your partner's problem. Right. And, you know, I, I can't help but think, you you know, you've, you've had visibility on this, on this uh, issue for quite a while. And I, I'm sure you see all sorts of different 
forms of jealousy manifesting itself, especially amongst men. What is the sort of state of the nation when it comes to men and jealousy? And, you know, you hear a lot about social media and how that's impacting people's sort of view of, of others and, and impacting the way that they look at themselves. Uh, are we doing a good job? Are we, are we struggling? Are things getting worse? Like what can, can we take it a little broader and, and, and talk about men and jealousy in general? And, and what can we do as men to, you know, be more comfortable with who we are and, you know, in, in the, in the present self? That's a really interesting question. I'm not sure if we're getting better. Um, mm. I, I think that the, the one challenge you mentioned earlier, like social media, I think that the social media presents a really interesting challenge in the context of intimate relationships in the 21st century. Insofar as, you know, we're the first generations who are living with constant reminders, visual reminders of our past wow. um, every day, sometimes for several hours a day. You're so you know, right. Living, That's so, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that that we don't really know how to deal with that. It used to it used to be that if you know if, if a husband and wife wanted to talk about their past, they had to get out the scrapbook and you know go back and get <laughs> all the photos. And oh, I don't know, if, I don't know, if, I don't know what I was doing back then. <laughs> Absolutely, and and even then, I mean, like you know, I ta I've talked about um, denying women their their right to to their own sexuality. I mean, you know, we are in many ways the most promiscuous um, generation in in many ways with Tinder and everything. Um, so. Even when Lenore brought out the scrapbook, there probably wasn't much to, to speak of in it. Right. Right. Um, you know, my grandparents met when they were, uh, you know, 18 or whatever. And that, that was kind of it. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. No, this is kind of going off track just a little bit. But we, we love that. Thing, Don't worry. OK, good. Well, another thing like guys listening to this is they think that if they hooked up with someone like uh, retroactive jealousy suffers, sufferers, I should say. They think that if they hooked up with someone who is this, you know, snow white angel, uh, didn't have a past at all, maybe things would be better. And, or maybe I should just date with, with someone um, who's got less of a past or whatever. I've received letters literally from, from men who are obsessed with the fact um, that their partner like once held hands with another boy in like eighth grade. Wow. I'm not kidding. Wow. Um, so this thing, like for whatever reason, and, and scientists are, and uh, researchers, they're kind of divided on what actually causes obsessive compulsive disorder. And certainly I can't say definitively what causes retroactive jealousy, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important for men to realize that if for whatever reason, if you were dealt this, you know, genetic um, cultural hand, um, you're going to be dealing with this probably no matter what relationship you you enter. So it, it's in your best interest to uh, to start working on it. I have to but be honest, to, like I can't even yeah. imagine what that must be like as far as you know, having somebody hold hands with someone in the eighth grade affecting your life today. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. It's truly bizarre. And I, I think that, you know, and it's embarrassing as hell. I mean, the fact like people used to call me a guarded person. I don't think they really say that anymore. When I wrote a book about the most embarrassing episode of my life right. and somehow, and somehow I was convinced to put my name in the cover. Um, it's very, very, very embarrassing. And that prevents a lot of men from, from getting help. Right. Um, from reaching out even to their friends. You know what I mean? Like I get emails every day from people saying, I've never told anyone this, but I've been dealing with this for, you know, 20 years, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's, there's deep shame around this and it, you know, it's, it's an embarrassing thing. I'm still embarrassed about the way I used to act. I mean, talk about cringeworthy, right? Right. Is there something men can do to have these conversations with their friends? That's a good question. I, I know I'm saying that a lot, but you're asking good questions. <laughs> I think that, that, uh, I think that, so a lot of men, I'm sure you know this, a lot of men don't have real true friends, I think. Totally. And when I say real true friends, I mean, I, I define that as someone you can have a very, very honest conversation with mm -hmm. um, and who will be honest back with you mm -hmm. um, and who you can really trust. So I think a lot of men don't have that. For those that, that do, um, you know, find a quiet space, um, get away from your partner, 
have it be a private conversation and just ask, you know, share where you're, what you're going through and ask your friend, you know, have you ever dealt with anything like this? And if they say no, there's a good chance that you might want to look elsewhere for some kind of help, whether that's going to therapy or finding um, some kind of personal development program or or whatever. Um, don't don't leave it is what I'm saying, because a lot of men and women, but a lot of men feel that if they just wait long enough, this problem will resolve itself on its own. And I think in some cases that's true, but it seems like most people, until they really step up and start and start doing the work to overcome this, most people uh, deal with it for for decades until they um, until they actually put in the work to to overcome it. Right. And once they do deal with it, is there some sort of maintenance program they can be doing, or or sort of, uh, you know, it, I, I like to say, you know, it's kind of like. Um, Maybe this is a bad example, but you know, I used to be a smoker, and uh, every once in a while, I feel like smoking again, and I just, I really want a cigarette. But you know, I, I look back on those tools and and sort of uh, ways of thinking that got me to quit. Is there something that a man can do ten, twelve years down the road when he perhaps starts to get a little closer to those those jealous thoughts? Yeah, I think that the short answer is just to keep focusing on personal development. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the reasons I'm excited about doing this work and one of the reasons I find it so rewarding is um, I really see overcoming this and putting in the work to overcome this as a huge opportunity for personal development. Um, You know, focusing on your insecurities, working on them, um, committing to being more open and vulnerable, committing to learning, learning about women's sexuality, learning about uh, relationships, learning about how to have healthy relationships. Um, but in terms of practical steps, I mean, you know, this is going to sound uh, perhaps cheesy to some of your listeners, but meditation is huge. Mm. Um, just just cultivating the ability to disconnect from unwanted thoughts when they come up, cultivating the ability to to not identify yourself with momentary thoughts, because all thoughts are momentary and they're all fleeting. Mm. Um, so I think that if you, if you develop a, a, a really, um, persistent meditation routine, that can be a huge weapon in your arsenal. Um, absolutely huge. And, and just, yeah, broadly focusing on personal development, I would say is, um, you know, not getting lazy about it, not thinking that, okay, that problem's behind me. Um, I don't have to put in any work on myself. I don't have to keep meditating. I don't have to keep doing these things. Um, because I think that it's in your best interest to, to, to stay persistent with your, with your program. I love that. And, and, you know, there's a, there's a saying that I always like to say to myself, because I think, you know, especially, or maybe I'm overgeneralizing, but as men, we, we seem to think that at some point this is all just gonna be perfect and we're never gonna have to, you know, uh, go, go back and, and work on ourselves again. But the, reali- the reality is, is that the, the learning never stops and the learning never ends. You're constantly going to be in this, in this, uh, uh, state of, of, um, of learning about yourself, learning about, you know, the, the, the world around you and, and what's going on in, in your life. Um, and as somebody who suffered from depression for a while, uh, I constantly have to, you know, remind myself that I can't stop and slow down and I have to continue, uh, I have to continue learning and and that's what keeps me dry you know driven well if you don't mind my asking roger um how how are you maintaining like how are you staving off depression like what are you doing in your own life to to sort of um keep those demons at bay yeah that's a great question i think the first thing is focusing on my purpose and and that is to to bring people together and and make the world a better place through connection and and community and and that's definitely what uh, keeps me going with man talks as well. And, and I also have a, a, a strong sense or a strong, um, uh, will to stay curious and open and, and constantly, uh, excited and learning about, uh, everything and anything. Um, but I think, 
honestly, the the piece that I have to continue reminding myself is that happiness is a choice, and mm. um, it's it's like a muscle, and you have to continue doing the things that make you happy in order to stay happy. As 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 simple as that sounds, um, you know, I, I I struggled with thinking that there was something wrong with me for the longest time, and the reality was there was something wrong with me, but I, I had the power to change it. It wasn't like, uh, I would walk down the street one day and all of a sudden the skies would turn blue and everything would be perfect again. It's a constant, it's a constant, uh, battle uh, that I have to remind myself to keep fighting. That's great. Yeah, Yeah. that's really great. On the note of staying curious, um, and staying enthusiastic, you know, another thing I tell guys like it, try if you can to make friends with really cool older men, even like much (laughs) older men. No, really. It's, it's really true. Like one of the coolest people in the world is my, my maternal grandfather. He's 84. Um, but he's still learning. He's still curious. He's still passionate. He's still trying to become a better, a better man, a better father, a better husband. And that's so inspiring. Like if you can be around people like that, it makes a huge difference. It's a cliche, but you know, the whole, the whole world, the whole word worldly, you know, you say somebody's worldly and, and you think of, you know, the Dos Equis commercials with the, the world's most interesting man. But the <laughs> right. reality is, is that, you know, uh, seek out worldly people, people that have experienced yeah. a lot and, and, and aren't afraid to try new things. Um, I, you know, as somebody who works in the music industry, I'm sure you must run into the most fascinating, amazing older men. And I'd love to hear any, you know, any of those sorts of uh, any of those sorts of stories. You know, one of the, the, on that note, one of the, the coolest guys I met was I had the opportunity a few years ago to meet, uh, Pete Best. Oh, cool. And Pete, Be- Pete Best was the original drummer of the Beatles. Yeah. He was, he was basically fired, um, in favor of Ringo right before the Beatles became huge, right. right before they absolutely blew up in Britain and shortly before they became the absolute biggest band in the world. You know, the closest things to, uh, to gods on this earth that I think we we've, we've had. And I asked him and I looked deeply into his eyes. It's a question I've been really wanting to ask him for, for decades now. I've, I've been a Beatles fan since I was about five. I've always been a huge Beatles nerd. Awesome. Um, but I looked into his eyes and I, I asked him, like, really, Pete, like you've really made your peace with that, you know, missing out on what is essentially the greatest party of all time, you know, being a Beatle, you know, it's unimaginable. And he looked at me and, and he said, yes, I've really made peace with mm. it. It's all good. And, and he meant it. You know, mm. I could see in his eyes he meant it. He's a, he's a father. He's a grandfather. Um, and he's still touring and making music. Um, and he's, he's okay. Do you know what I mean? He's okay. Totally. And he could have lived with that, um, huge, huge depression and huge sense of missing out. And just, he could have become angry and bitter and all the, these things so easily. Just the meanest, strongest, largest form of jealousy I could possibly imagine. Oh you know, yeah. Could, the, there's a potential for that. I mean, try to imagine, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, and you know, being confined in some ways to the footnotes of rock history when you played such an integral role. Um, but he told me he was okay. And and not to mention, and this is nothing against you, but he must have, you know, thousands of people asking him that very question. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Interestingly though, in my defense, in a lot of interviews, it seems to, it seemed to me that journalists shied away from that question. Oh, really? Out of yeah. Now this is just, you know, perhaps it's my own bias, but, uh, it seems like a lot of journalists shy away from that question. I think because, um, at the risk of upsetting him or at the risk of, because he actually did deal with depression for years. Oh, okay. Um, it's a very interesting post Beatles history of, of Pete Best. Um, he actually went back to Liverpool and became a civil servant, but he did have some demons for a while. Wow. Um, but to see him emerge on the other end of that, you know, a peaceful, contented, happy, uh, elderly gentleman was, uh, was big for me. It was like, okay, you know, 
um, I think I'm going to be okay. If Pete Best is okay, I think, I think I'm going to be okay. Awesome. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, I, 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 I'm always fascinated when somebody like yourself focuses on, you know, uh, something like retroactive jealousy and, and really makes that the core of what they are meant to put on this earth to do. Uh, what what gets you out of bed every day? What what gets you focused on that every day? What you know what what gets you answering that hundredth email every day? And and what gets you um, coming back for more? Well, I'll tell you. A good friend of mine, a guy named Cody McKibben, gave me a good tip when I was feeling discouraged a couple of years ago, and he said, "Put all the emails you get of people appreciating you, uh, appreciating what you've done, saying they they loved your book and or your course your course helped them, whatever. Put those in a folder called appreciation in your inbox, and you know look through those when you when you're feeling low. Um, so I have had moments of of um, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for challenge." Yeah, challenge, challenging moments where I was like, what am I doing this for? Um, but looking through those emails really makes a big, a big difference. And I, I remind myself that, you know, and this is going to sound perhaps boastful, but like I, I am helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think, uh, I've helped some people in, in a really big way. Um, you know, some people have said I've saved some marriages and again, that sounds braggadocious, but the fact is I think I have uh, helped some people, um, by sharing my own pain and sharing my own journey through it. Um, and that, that's a really, really good feeling. I, someone like you, I'm sure can, can relate to that. It's, it's a really special feeling. It's very, very humbling in a way. And it kind of makes you feel like, you know, regardless mm. of your personal feelings, you have to keep on doing this because you're doing some sort of good in the world and it's, uh, it's making a difference in people's lives. However, I will say that a big, so when I originally published my book, I published it under a pen name, um, for two reasons, basically. One is I was already writing for the web about music and culture and politics and different things. And I didn't want to, um, I didn't want, you know, this work to impact my other work in any way. Um, and two, I was, I was just embarrassed, plain and simple. Mm. Um, and, and I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be pigeonholed, you know, as the retroactive jealousy guy. Um, so I am working on different things. I've got a new music podcast. Um, I'm looking at expanding the focus of my jealousy website. Um, but the fact remains that, you know, and I get weird looks at parties sometimes when people ask me the projects I'm working on and talk about retroactive jealousy. Yeah. Um, but it really is worth it. It really, really is worth it, um, to get some of those emails and to feel like you're, you're, you know, helping some people through some difficult stuff. Amazing. Well, let's get, let's get the plug in for the, uh, the music podcast. What is it called? I love a good plug. It's called uh, Travels in Music, and it's basically what it sounds. It, it's kind of most travel shows, travel websites, whatever, um, look at the world through food. I'm looking at the world through music, um, exploring the relationship of music to place, and just having really relaxed conversations, kind of like what we're having right now, with really interesting people about music and the way it changes lives. So yeah, travelsinmusic.com. Awesome. And if anybody wants to learn more about retroactive jealousy, where can they go? They can go to retroactivejealousy.com, uh, which is my website. And you can tell I've been at this for a while because that domain was available. But yeah, awesome. retroactivejealousy.com. <laughs> and if anybody wants to learn more about you and, and your projects and your books and, and sort of what, what's going on in your, in your life, what's the best they, way they can do that? Probably the best way for that is to go to zfstockhill.com or for our American friends, zfstockhill.com. <laughs> Awesome. And is there a way that they can get a hold of you? Or are you, are you, do you do the Facebook thing, the Twitter thing? 
I do. I'm a big fan of Twitter, um, much more than Facebook. So yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is ZF Stockhill or ZF Stockhill. Awesome. Awesome. Zach, we really, really appreciate this. This was a, a great conversation and a lot of value for our community. Thank you so much. The pleasure's mine. Thank you, Roger. And guys, you can learn more about Man Talks by going to the mantalks.com site for more podcasts, blog posts. We have a lot of amazing articles and, and posts up there. Zach himself has written one, which is fantastic. And please, please, please subscribe to us on iTunes so that you never miss an episode. And of course, leave us a rating on iTunes. It helps to really man it forward and, and bring our uh, podcast into as many ears as possible. Thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man. Thanks.